That's some sensational catch. Absolutely brilliant from Hooper. Was hit back firmly by Maiello. Hammered down the ground. It could fly all the way for a maximum. It's going to soar into the sky. That's the six they needed. That's 50 for Furbrush. What a knock that is from him. Outstanding striking. And that six brings Guernsey back into the game. Could be a catch. What a catch. One-handed grab. And that's Josh Butler, the captain. Oh, my days. We have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Under the Covers. Guernsey Cricket's very own podcast. I'm Ben Furbrush, Guernsey Cricket Development Manager. On this podcast, we'll be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and other cricketing keen beans along the way. On today's episode, we catch up with Sussex legend and recently appointed head coach of Sussex T20 side, James Kirtley. Welcome to the podcast, James Kirtley. Thank you very much for coming along. Um, I hope you're well and safe in these current times, but very strange sort of times. No, all good, thank you. Ferb's all good. Good stuff. So if we go right the way back to the start, um, born in Eastbourne uh, in Sussex, what did your early sort of childhood look like? Um, I was quite lucky in that um, dad was a, a PE teacher and did some chemistry as well. Mum was a physio, which came in handy later. So, you know, a fairly active uh, environment, basically. So whether it was at those days, it was the Five Nations, if that was on, then it was rugby, if it was... Um, if the tennis was on, you know, Wimbledon, it was tennis, you know, just whatever the season sort of held it, you know, we were always out there um, playing whatever sport it might be. So luckily, um, very active. Yeah, so I've, I've noticed you, you attended St Andrews Prep School. Uh, was, was cricket a massive sport there? Was it just all sports again? Again, it was pretty much all sports. And, you know, from a bit of football, rugby, hockey, cricket were the, the main four, bit of athletics at the end. And as I say, it just... It just provided a, a great environment just to to play all things, um, and I'm still a big advocate that you know we don't want to pigeonhole players too early. I think you know to to create rounded athletes is a good one. So you know anyone at any stage, you know until it gets a bit more serious, you know even now, young bowler at Sussex, you know encourage him to play his football. You know it's a, just yeah. a different way of a it's disguised running um, and the other thing is you know physically people pushing you off the ball or whatever else um provides <clears throat> uh, an alternative uh, yeah, way of preparing really that's actually something we've really pushed here as well uh, obviously you know ash wright our our previous coach um yeah that was something that we, we were massive on uh you know giving the guys an opportunity to go and play other sports uh, the transferable skills you see the guys who play hockey all of a sudden they come into cricket, they can sweep and everything so much easier just purely from hockey. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we're massive on that as well. Yeah, it was the only shot I could play, but it's a sweep shot. But I think it probably stems from um, a bit of hockey, which, you know, I played even for the first two or three years as a pro, played in the winter. So, um, yeah, I probably gave, stopped after Christmas just in the risk of breaking a finger or something. But yeah. um, it was definitely a way of keeping fit over the uh, winter and you know a bit of fun which yeah. you know in these days we a bit of fun doesn't go amiss yeah no definitely um, so following St Andrews you attended Clifton College in Bristol so how did that come about uh, obviously a, a fair distance away from Eastbourne um, was that with your parents moving or were you a border there no I, was, I, I boarded there at Clifton but there was a cricket festival that existed between uh, Tunbridge Eastbourne 
Felstead, Winchester and Clifton and the the cricket carnival that happened at the end of each year sort of that festival sort of rotated around those schools and um, it was it was quite apparent quite early on that Clifton was uh, an option um, and you know you, it, it always helps when the master in charge of cricket is your house master and um, the cricket pro lives the other side of the field so if ever you needed a bolt hole um, to get away from things, um, yeah. I could. And again, you know, you know, opportunities to to do all sorts of things there, um, fantastic in a way. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, sort of halfway through my time at Clifton, suddenly Cabal just that little bit quicker than not just people in my year group, but as a fifteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, pretty much quicker than anyone at the school. So from being a specialist number nine batter. <laughs> under 14 sort of by the stage I got to sort of under 15 under 16 suddenly um something clicked timing you know it's yeah. not like I suddenly grew because I've never quite made six foot so um yeah something clicked and yeah that's that's how it all really started and then, and then from there was is it always in the Sussex system from there or did you have any time obviously up in Bristol I guess the, the county link there is Gloucestershire it would have been but it it, it has always always been a Sussex lad. Um, the a really good coach at Clifton in Jim Andrew, and then um, during the festival, the the cricket pro who was Ted James had a, uh, a word with Sussex saying you need to have a look at this, have a look at this kid, and um, say sort of sixteen year old, you know, walked in, you know, when your cricket bag's nearly as big as you, yeah. <laughs> walked in through the gates at. At Hove at 16, uh, they liked what was what what they saw. I played for the under 17s, um, and then the what was the under 19s, the young cricketers, yeah. And then pretty much played. I think I played a friendly game against Surrey for the first team at Sussex, just before I went back to my A levels, which probably was one of the reasons why I probably single-handedly dropped Clifton down about two divisions in the exam um, <laughs> in the exam tables as I ploughed the lot um, but retook here in Sussex uh, my A-levels and was signed as a pro uh, in 95. So, so you mentioned there about the under 17s and under 19s did the youth system sort of mirror what what happens now they train all the way through the winter um, I, I know it's, it's changed over time when I spoke to Harry Finch he was telling me that when he came on board it was all very much red ball and he said I can imagine now it's gone down the white ball route uh, just with the game the way the game's changing but how did it look back then? Because I was away I, I, I didn't do that much um, within in the pathway you know it was, there was a couple of training days over a Christmas holidays or a February half term or whatever it might be so um, it was there but it, it, it wasn't probably the the same program um yeah. it wouldn't have been the same numbers you know we've got nearly 700 kids in our pathway now at sussex and yeah. richard household who oversees that it is a, a very uh, comprehensive um setup so you, yes you are visiting all sorts of areas of the game so yeah like finchie would have said it might have been very red ball orientated 10 15 years ago but when yeah. i was doing it nearly 30 years ago um it was it was a little bit different and it was um as i say there was a group of young cricketers uh the yeah. the the focus was very much on 
Yeah, so then following that, you made your first class debut, 1995. One, who was that against? And two, what are your memories from that game? Um, it was against Glamorgan at Swansea. So, um, yeah, uh, at St. Helens. And, yeah, the, the, the first, what do I, I'm not very good at remembering games, if I'm honest. Um, but you always remember your first wicket. And it's pretty uh, lucky that it was Tony Cotty who... Um, <laughs> obviously came down to join Sussex and is now uh, still involved um, in the in the marketing and the commercial element of the club so um, it's nice that Cots was my first wicket and thankfully Ian Salisbury was stood at slip and he caught it so yeah Tony Cotty caught Salisbury bowl curtly first one well we'll get onto that later but that partnership's been uh, re- reconvened for the for the, the future so um, it has, it has. Uh, and then the following winter, you ended up going to Zimbabwe as an overseas player. H- how did that all come about? Because it's not the, the obvious route. Usually it's Australia or South Africa, but yeah, a bit different. We were, yeah. So um, Andy Flower came and played at Eastbourne at the club in that summer. And I was keen to get away. Um, and England were touring. And it just seemed like an obvious um, opportunity be over, watch the Test Series England over there, play for Andy's club, Old Georgians, where had a fantastic time. But um, yeah. yeah, Andy Flower sorted it out for me and um, had a, an incredible uh, winter, a lot of fun, a lot of cricket um, and probably a lot of growing up as well. Yeah, and then one game that really must stick in the memory is you actually did play against England. They came over, as obviously we said, on tour, so it was a touring match. Uh, you had some pr- and a pretty impressive game, taking five for fifty-three, uh, with the scalps of Afton, Hussein, and Stewart amongst those. You know those names. That, that must have been really just unbelievable experience. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was. Um, it came as a bit of surprise, really, in that I think uh, Edo Brandes was meant to play, um, and I think they wanted to hold him back or whatever it was. And I'd been training with Andy and Grant Flower. Um, throughout the winter they had domestic competition um, the Logan Cup I think it was called there and I played for Mashonaland which was the sort of Harare district and we played against uh, Matabililand which was more down Bulawayo and various so I managed to play in a few games there Davy Houghton was coach um, player coach I think so got to play with all these fantastic cricketers in Alistair Campbell um, Henry Alonga was playing you know it was the Strang brothers you know you can re- sort of reel them off but um, got to play there did alright in the domestic games and then they suddenly said a couple of days before the, the tour game that um, yeah you, you're going to play and you know one of those wonderful opportunities as a youngster where you've got really nothing to lose where yeah. I thought I was going to sit in the stands have a barbecue and probably enjoy <laughs> a couple of beers and watch the game, but actually ended up dictating the game, really. So um, the ball swung. Um, and yeah, you know, so often in those sort of times where you've got nothing to lose, you can relax, just enjoy it. And things went my way. Um, I'm not sure how popular I was or whether the, <laughs> the ECB forgave me, uh, took them a bit of time to forgive me for uh, messing up their preparation. But um a wonderful experience and great memories. Obviously, you were 
pretty new to the game, like like we said, um, in terms of professional side of it. Did you know all of the England guys uh, well, or was it a case of sort of turning up and playing against some guys? You obviously knew who they were, but but not, you know, they probably hadn't heard of you at that stage. No, I think I'd only played a handful of first class games. Right. So um, it might have, I don't, as I say, I'm not very good at, um, but it might. I think I only played a couple of games in 95 and only probably a handful of games in 96. So, and one of the games I played in 96 was for a, a what at the time was a TCB 11, which was against South Africa A. Yeah. Um, and I got a few wickets there. So, it was early time. So, I'd only played, I think, Robert Croft. So, I would have played against him because he was playing against Glamorgan. Durham, I'd played against. So, there, there weren't that many. Yeah. So, um, it was great. Um, but um, thankfully, John Barkley was the manager there, and he, obviously, being a Sussex man, was able to sort of guide me through the the potential uh, potholes that could yeah. unfurl from the media and saying <laughs> the wrong thing at the wrong time. So, and David Lloyd was a coach, and he was incredibly uh, helpful. So, um, but I'd been bowling at them in preparation. Um, right. I just didn't think I was going to actually compete against them. Yeah. Yeah. And then following on from, from that uh, season away and a few impressive seasons with Sussex, uh, taking 203 championship wickets in, in three seasons, you were selected by England in 2001 to make your ODI debut, uh, actually against Zimbabwe, back at the same venue yeah. you played England. Um, impressive figures again, 9.1 overs, two for 33. What were your memories of that game? It was just, it was so familiar. Um, oh. Playing against a team that I knew a lot about, um, probably had a little bit of insight in how they played. Um, I had one of my best mates who I was at school with at St Andrews actually, who captained me at school, Johnny Saunders, who went on um, and he was on the T- TMS team right. um, there, and so he was commentating. So, literally, had one of my best mates there commentating, um, and felt incredibly comfortable um only for it all to come crashing down having the high of making my debut to the referee calling my my action into question so uh, a complete spectrum of emotions um but luckily in a in a part of the world that i felt relatively safe in yeah so that 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 was my next point was obviously um in that game you, you actually got called into question there um, you then went back and through extensive work with Sussex and England, uh, you actually returned to England duty the following summer. So you did a lot of extensive remedial work on the action. Uh, what did this consist of? Was this just hours in the indoor school, just grinding out, you know, lots of testing, etc.? It was. And it, I think in, the issue at the time is that no one really understood um, what was legal and what wasn't legal, what was required. So, yeah. um, you were shooting in the dark a little bit, but it, it was, look, it was questioned. Um, and, you know, we, ha- we had to make some changes. Um, and actually it was an opportunity that um, Peter Moores saw that this was a, this was an opportunity for us to make, you know, things had gone really, had gone well, yeah. um, but this was an opportunity to take it to another level. Um, and I think that the seasons going forward from that remodelling actually 
proved you know some you know some really high dividends um bowling more efficiently uh running up more efficiently um allow which allow me to bowl for longer and um as i say you know that was the initial sort of check-in that then allowed me to to deliver i think with even greater consistency which probably allowed um some of the future success to 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 start from yeah and then in 2002 uh huge highlight um which is, is spoken about i mean whenever you put your name into google anything it's the blinder of a catch you took to remove ganguly against india at, at, at uh, lords that that was um well one when i watched it with with lats in the office the other day he said i'd question his positioning i think he's a bit too far off the boundary there um but that must have been incredible you know just diving and just stuck in the left hand if, if people haven't seen it jump onto youtube pop it in it, it's unbelievable grab it 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 was and you know maybe i probably was got that sort of moment of electric shock that this ball has been hit airily somewhere in my direction and um i think i thought initially i was looking to stop and realized either he'd hit it hard or i was getting closer to it i can't remember which and then it was actually as many of the cricketers will know i got into that horrible sort of shall i shan't i and i thought i can't not go for it thank goodness it stuck but um i think i was as surprised as anybody <laughs> um and i think the i think the the thought at the time actually is i thought it was going to change um change the game yeah you know ganguly was going well um but i think all it did was to bring yuvraj in and he finished the game off so um sadly it wasn't um the game changing catch that you hope a catch of yeah, yeah. that sort of yeah. level would have but um yeah, there's still photos that exist and that are, yeah. you know dotted around here and there. That you know to do it at Lords, um, pretty special. Um, and yeah, it, it is a nice highlight. Yeah, I mean, really after that as well. So 2003, uh, you started just really peaking. It looked like so uh, not only yourself but also Sussex. So uh, 2003 must have been an amazing year. You won the county championship with Sussex for the first time in 164 years. Um, and then you finished second leading wicket taker for the club with 49 wickets, an average of 28.63, only to be beaten by Mushtek Ahmad, who we obviously all know about. <laughs> but that must yeah. have been a great feel, a feeling um, and, you know, some party as well at the end of the season after winning that county championship. It was some party. Um, crikey. But it was, it, it was a, an incredible summer. Um, I think I got called up for... Um, Every test match that year actually got into the squad. So from April when actually Zimbabwe were over and Jimmy Anderson made his debut at Lords, um, I was in the squad only for to continue returning and yeah. um I was one of those first subs as it were. I think Kevin Innes was um in my place at Horsham in a game where he we batted first, he scored a hundred, he came off and I came in and got four wickets in the match. So I think, you know, Unfortunately, I can't remember who it was. I think it might be Nottinghamshire, but I can't remember. But it was one of those super sub moments that things came. But Mushtaq arrived, got 10 wickets in the first game. Um, and we just suddenly thought, crikey, we've, we've, got, the, we've got the catalyst. Yeah. We knew we had a good side. We had people, we knew we could score runs. We had a really good pace bowling lineup in Jason Lurie, Robin Martin Jenkins, um, and good support from um 
Kevin Innes and Billy Taylor and Rana was yeah. around was yeah. Rana in there 2003. Um, and it just, you know, it just suddenly, um, it all kicked off. And as I say, Mushy was the catalyst on and off the field. And to look back in September, having sort of made test debut, but, you know, to that moment of winning the championship after all that time was um, an incredible highlight. And as you rightly say, uh, an incredible party as well. That yeah. <laughs> didn't just last for a day or two either. <laughs> so you mentioned it there, but 2003, you were also rewarded for your hard work and impressive form uh, to make your test debut versus South Africa. Um, you picked up player of the match uh, with your figures of um, two for 80 in the first innings of 31 overs. Uh, and then six for 34 in the second innings of 16.2 overs. Uh, again, some really impressive scalps, Graham Smith, Jack Rudolph, Neil McKenzie and Mark Boucher, to, to name a few of them. Um, that must have just been, you know, everyone sort of fears, I guess, on arriving on that sort of scene of, am I good enough? Am I not good enough? But I think you sort of proved right there that you were. Oh, I think I think my first ball went for four. I think Herschel Gibbs, I bowled my first ball from the pavilion end and literally just smashed it through mid-wicket or something. And I just thought, oh my God, is this really <laughs> going to be how, how this is going to... Yeah. Is this starting and how, this is how it's going to finish? And um, it was a great test match. And it, it um, I think there was two great innings. Um, I think maybe Nasser and Butch got some really... Uh, crucial runs um, that set the game up and you could see that the pitch was going to deteriorate so I, I benefited um, yeah. for a couple of LBWs um, but also for a couple of balls that kept low but um, it was a proper test match and I think it was in those days it was um, the days when it was on Channel 4 as well um, so it, it it was terrestrial and you just yeah. people people remember the cricket from the terrestrial times because it it was there for everybody. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's great to return, you know, cricket returning on a terrestrial uh, level, but um, yeah, incredible to do it. Um, and then we didn't have very long because we, we literally had three or four days and then we were up to Headingley um, to start up there. So um, not much time to sort of savor the moment, but um you know, it's great to, to reflect on and look back on. Yeah, and then at the same time, uh, you mentioned before, you know, you were sort of in and around the squad all the time, um, just just not quite making it. Was that sort of a, a, a case of sort of, uh, I don't know, wrong time maybe with the likes of Anderson, Harmison, Jones, Hoggard all sort of coming through at that exact same time? You know, we had a great seam bowling attack back then. Yeah, I think, Look, you, you had Goff and Caddick and Goffy, I think, retired in that series, which probably gave me um, my opportunity. Caddick, had, I think it, he ended up playing his last test match that previous win in Australia. I think he might have finished with right. Turkey's in the match, actually. Um, but I think he was he had a niggle or whatever. So I, I sort of did appear, along with a few others, um, that summer that was in that sort of transition phase of just before Harmony, Simon Jones. Um, Matthew Hoggard was playing, but probably hadn't quite established himself. Um, yeah. But soon did the sort of following winter when he went to the West Indies and had that incredible series there. And that sort of cemented 
his place in sort of 2004 onwards, as did Harmy getting seven for against, did he, I think he got ridiculous seven for against the West Indies. Yeah, so yeah. there was lots of, um, play, you know, four test matches is enough to be judged on. Uh, yeah. That's probably up for discussion, but yeah, you, you knew you were in good company. Flintoff was bowling brilliantly and you, Jimmy was coming through and, um, you know, I've got to be grateful for the opportunity I did get and probably that, that first test match as well. Yeah. No. And then, um, after that, um, 2005, it sort of all came crashing back down. Like we, we mentioned before, again, your action was questioned. Yep. Um, you had to have a, an independent assessment uh, by the ECB. Um, something like that must've been one incredibly hard to take again, uh, not only physically, but also mentally. So how, how did you sort of deal with that? Was it more of a motivation thing? Yeah, there was a couple of things in this. And, the, the, you know, you, you end up taking, I think, over 100 wickets in all cricket, you know, in that year. Um, and then, you know, this bombshell's sort of sent in your direction. So um, the way in which it was done was, was poor because it probably didn't follow um, the... The protocols that should yeah. have been followed, but it, it was anyway. And yeah, you know, went for the assessment and was found to that, you know, I was beyond the, the 15 degrees. And that was, it was hard. And, you know, we worked really hard from sort of pre Christmas to get stuff done. But I was, I was battling with such emotion, such anger, resentment, yeah. um, pity, or self pity, poor, you know, all those sort of things that. I really didn't achieve anything in those in that time before Christmas, and then afterwards, um, going into two thousand and six, you know, there was this sort of moment where actually I needed to get things in order, um, and you know, it, you know, they talked about the sort of stages of grief, and I'm not comparing a bowling action going awry to grief, you know. Yeah, yeah. To, to losing someone but I had to go through those stages of emotion to sort of come out and get to that point of acceptance really of where I was and then I was able to put in that work yeah um and then with the help of Sussex and you know we we you know by the time March came around uh 2006 um managed to get things sorted and you know it, it was hard but uh you know I don't to go through that experience as a player is tough, <clears throat> but I think it's held me in really good stead as a coach. You know, the empathy yeah. that you might show a player um, all those years ago to be given that sort of opportunity to understand the biomechanics. You know, no yeah. one in England had been filmed uh, in the same way. So it really did give me a great insight uh, into pace bowling, into coaching and the biomechanics of it as well. So it, it, it wasn't all bad. Yeah, at the time it felt pretty dreadful. Um, but I can, again, reflect on it now um, with a coach's hat on that um, it, it really was um, a good experience for now, but probably yeah. not then. Yeah, and then again, once again, you came back with an absolute bang, uh, leading Sussex to the CNG Trophy. Um, in the final, it was 8.2 overs, 5 for 27 uh, versus Lancashire, picking up man of the match again on the way. Um, it must have just been, you know, so good that all that hard work uh, just was rewarded with something like that. It was, and it was almost a, it was that uh, 
reward, but it was almost, you know, I'd rank that game or that performance as actually the, the highlight because, you know, the test, the test match display is a really personal one. Um, and so it sits as a, of course it sits as a highlight, but the, the journey, um, the support offered by Sussex, by teammates, by supporters, sponsors, you name it, was incredible. And, you know, I made some really good friends um, off the pitch, really, that helped support me when, you know, I needed time to, to, to get away from the monotony of the bowling and the drills. And, you know, I found myself in the odd pub in Brighton, but, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I, you know, not to, not to drown my sorrows, but I needed a, some form of escape. Um, yeah. And you know, those are your mates that are there for you in those times as well. And to to sort of pay back the support um, that I say that was offered in all facets of the uh, from the club was great and again another uh, another party to to remember or not to remember actually in this case <laughs> yeah so again it, it's just that the thing that really stands out for me when I was just going back making a few notes on your career is just how you just had this knack of turning it on when it was needed uh it always seemed to be big games it was that a case you just got up for those games maybe not necessarily more but you just really stood up in those games or was it just a case of you know what that will and want to win so much I think there's that will and want. I think the other thing is that again, as a someone you know starting out on a sort of coaching journey, you know, coaching journey now is that I was often very prepared. So yeah. uh, Peter Moore's instilled uh, a work ethic when he first started as head coach that um, was continued on with with Robbo. But the the professionalism, the preparation, we knew as a club we were working harder than any other county, which yeah. always gave us that advantage. And when, you know, teams still talk about it now, that when they, they came to Sussex in the, in the early 2000s, we were in the nets before them. Or even at their home, you know, even when we were away playing games, we were either in the nets before the home team or we were in the nets the day before yeah. the match. You know, we were, we were always trying to give ourselves that edge and... I think when you're when you're playing in a team that is practicing more than any other county, and then as a, a bowler practicing, uh, you know, because I was often bowling at the death, bowling at crunch times. That if I was playing in a county that was preparing more than any other county, and I was probably the bowler in one day cricket preparing more than any other bowler the staff it gave me a real sense of confidence that when those big moments did come, I was as prepared as anybody could be. So, you know, you do have those big matches. You do have those finals where I think people's performances are slightly distorted through the pressure. Some are really well prepared. Some really excel um, in those games. You know, Mike Yardy, you know, a fantastic innings, albeit, um, what was it? Twenty high score with Yasser with twenty seven yeah. runs or something yeah. like that. So I think him and Yasser, I think I think they both got like twenty seven. But Yard's innings have 
knowing that if he could just hang in there and he just he brought out his side the 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 real hardness that you needed and the mental toughness to get through it um was another example and then Yasser playing a lot a lot more freely um yeah. you know people handle those games differently and i think that's where you you sometimes see the difference you're listening to under the covers guernsey's very own cricket podcast we'll be back after the short break bold him beautiful bit of bowling from william pete field the stump comes crashing out the ground and that's a big wicket here in guernsey versus denmark at the kg5 that's the first wicket Letizia is the one who strikes, he gives it a big celebration, he writes it up in a book, he notes it down and sends them off. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letizia needed, that's the breakthrough Guernsey needed, and that's the breakthrough that Mark Ladder to my left wants a big smile on his face. And a wonderful shot there. Cover drive for four. Stokes already finding the boundary twice in this game. 2007, again, another fantastic year for the club, uh, winning the county championship. Um, was this sort of transition stage for you moving away from the red ball uh, and into more white ball specialist, or was it more injuries that year? You didn't play as much in the county championship that year. No, I, I, I lost. I, I got into the championship side at the end of 2006. So we'd won the double 2006, started 2007, but not particularly well, um, and never really got it back. Right. Um, but other bowlers were coming through. So Luke Wright was developing as a really good all-rounder. Jason Lurie was fully um, focused on Red Bull cricket. We'd had Rana. We had yeah. Sacklane in 2007. So we had Sacklane and Mushy. Yeah. Uh, so you had two spinners, you know, real high-quality spinners. So the, the balance of the team changed. Yeah. Um, Robin Martin Jenkins was still delivering incredibly consistent performances so yeah my my time in the team had had sort of come to an end but what it you know so Jason and I basically we job shared for the the, the next couple of years which was great fun and um thankfully also um come in one day success going forward in 2008 and 2009 so it probably wasn't a bad time to, yeah. to focus on white ball cricket. Um, and we were probably, as a county, ahead of our time um, in Jason and I literally job share. Yeah. Yeah, well, I've, I've noted 2008. Um, again, you led Sussex to the ball to the Pro 40 title, topping the wickets uh, in the competition with 11. At, at this stage, with it being, like you said there, you're ahead of your time. Were you already sort of looking at variations in one-day cricket? Um, I know from your time in Guernsey, you had an unbelievable slower ball, which you couldn't pick, and it, it yeah. Yeah, it, it did. It allowed you to focus on it. And, you know, now, as I say, with Sussex, where we have got proper white ball specialists and, you know, almost a, a global franchise team, almost within a county system, that, you know, watching these guys prepare, they can dedicate real-time um, and focus on developing these white white ball skills, and I had that luxury. You know, and there was a handful of us: Rory Hamilton Brown, uh, Dwayne Smith had come into the side um, that were very much classed as uh, Will Beer. 
very much classed as these white ball um, specialists in the team. So three or four players would go out of the championship team. We'd travel in to wherever we were going and we were able to provide the energy, you know, to the lads that had been playing every single game. We were there to, to, to provide the energy um, for that side. And, you know, this was our day out. You know, you might have had your day out for four days in the championship, but we wanted our day out in one day cricket. So um, it was, again, a really thrilling time. You know, the over cricket is totally, totally underrated, I feel. I mean, I think it provided some of the best games of one day cricket yes. I was involved in. Um, and I think it was, as I say, it's an underrated format. You know, I, I get 2020 and 50 over cricket, I get, but 40 over cricket for some reason worked really well for, for county cricket. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I personally used to love the Pro 40. I think it was brilliant. You, yeah. It was always sort of starting at half four, five o'clock. You'd either get him from work, get him from school, chuck it on Sky Sports, you get game of night. I, yeah, similar to yourself, I, I absolutely loved it as well. 2008, so you connect with, with Guernsey cricket for the first time. Uh, you came over and delivered um, some coaching tips to some of our young seamers. Was that sort yeah. of your first look into the future of, of coaching or had you been doing stuff at Sussex already? I've been coaching for a long time, actually. So um, I'd actually been player coach for um, Namibia. I went to Namibia in 99, I think. So I did two or three winters over there and was coaching them to help them qualify for the World Cup, which they actually qualified for in 2003. So... Um, we developed, we had a really, for them, a, a great team, but, um, you know, all amateurs, but, um, yeah. you know, so I, that was my first sort of real sort of head coach, you know, cutting my teeth at that level. Um, first two years as a player coach and then Bob Warmer came in and did a bit. So I worked in a handful of games. They were three-day games that we played in the South Africa B section, but Bob was there. So, you know, I'd worked, you know, over a course of a few games with Bob Warmer, which was, as you can imagine, incredible for for me, who was 26 and just about to cut my teeth in international cricket. So, um, you know, that was a huge experience. So I I had been coaching, um, and I'd always done bits and pieces in the background. But yeah, you sort of come into the end of um, my career, which I'd, I'd always sort of realised would be 35, 36. Um, but yeah, you know, an opportunity came to come to Guernsey and, you know, who, who refuses the hospitality of Guernsey cricket? Yeah. <laughs> That's something we are good at. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you excel at. <laughs> so, um, 2009, again, Sussex winning the Pro 40 competition, leading from the front once again, uh, joint leading wicket-taker in the competition with 14 wickets. Um, and to add to this title, Sussex also won the first ever T20 title as well. Yeah. Um, you again topping the club's charts with 17 wickets, uh, finishing second overall. How did you just become so, so successful at, at one-day cricket? Obviously, you, you probably started out, your career started as Red Bull, really. There wasn't really any white ball stuff or not so much white ball stuff when you first started out to then get the swing no. right away. No, it wasn't as prevalent. Um, you know, T20, you know, reared its head in 2003. You know, it's been around a long time, actually, in England. And you could argue that we've been quite slow to, to maximise it. But it, I think because, you know, the, the Yorker at the time, it was a very natural delivery for me. So you can, you know, 
you can rate success in lots of different ways. Um, but, you know, I always felt that wicket-taking was the best way to, to yeah. stop scoring. And especially, Sussex found a way of, of being able to close out games. So whether it was with Rana Navid or uh, Yasser Arafat, we always had two bowlers who could close it out and were um, regularly successful at closing out games. So teams had to teams had to come at us quite hard up front, knowing that we could close games out in that way, and it often backfired. So we yeah. we benefited from it. We had you know to have the magician with Mushy, you know, holding. I say when we first started out in one one day cricket, or someone who was as reliable as Robin Martin Jenkins, and then I say latterly, you know, spinners in in Mike Yardy who was an absolute one-day revelation, really, that to have that batting mindset but with the ability to bowl. Um, bowling in the middle, Roy Hamilton-Brown as well. Luke White, you know, someone who was able to, you know, take an innings, you know, away from you with the bat, but also offer useful overs up front. You know, we had a, we had a very, we had a good all-round team. And I think... Uh, a captain in yards in 2009 that again was probably ahead of his time, you know, yeah. would, um, was already thinking about matchups and was thinking about who was the best bowler to bowl at this time. And he had an incredible cricket brain. Um, I say had, has an incredible yeah. cricket brain and one that, you know, I regularly, um, someone I'm regularly in contact with. Um, but he, I think he took it to another level. And there was times where, you know, I felt I should be given the ball to bowl, but he felt it was Rory Hamilton-Brown. And invariably, you know, someone would hit it up in the air and, you know, Yards was almost looking at me to say, I told you so. But um, it was, uh, he, again, he took it to another level in the uh, in his captaincy of, in one-day cricket, which allowed us to be successful for those couple of years. And, um, and so up the sort of the domestic, quad of competitions to to win every one of them so um a really good um passage of time to play at Sussex yeah and then in 2010 you signed a a one-year extension with Sussex uh, at the age of 35 how was the body holding up back then body body was holding up but I think I think having won the it was it was massive in my eyes to to win the 2020 um I really that was single-mindedly, I nearly said selfishly, single-mindedly <laughs> I wanted to win every competition yeah. uh, at Sussex. And the 2009, was that was it. And then we went to India to play in the Champions Trophy. But it, the, I realised going into that winter that actually physically I was all right, but mentally I, I, I could probably only just get myself up to, to train to the levels that I would need to train to over the course of the winter. So made quite an early call with Robbo at the time. I think it was in November where I said, look, Robbo, this is going to be my last season. Um, and I did my training, but it, it really did allow me um, time to enjoy my last year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you don't always do as a pro in any sport, actually, but in cricket and as a bowler, usually uh, there are other um, factors that impact you finishing. Um, but I was incredibly lucky to, to finish on my own terms um, in 2010. 
Yeah, and then 2011, uh, obviously the highlight for us, uh, you came over and played in the <laughs> first ever GPL um, for BDO. Uh, how did you find that? Again, another sort of mentoring role. Um, I, was, I was lucky enough to actually be in your team for the, f- the first uh, two years, I think. We won it in the second year. I don't know if you came back in the second year, but you were definitely there in the first year. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. Um, first year was um, enormous fun. And I think I, I didn't underestimate the standard of players, but I, I probably underestimated the, what this meant, this competition to Guernsey. And it was very... Uh, apparent after the first weekend that this was this was proper um, and as I say it wasn't that I had any disrespect for the ga- uh, cricket in Guernsey I just realised that actually there was something to to really deliver and that you as a player coming over from retired from cricket there, there was more than just to offer on the pitch and I did I loved it and um, you know, it's I say the friendships and the, the familiarity um, of you know returning, even whenever it was a year and a half ago. You know, yeah. it, it really does hold a, a close play, a place in um, Kate and my heart coming over. So um, great times, great cricket, um, some great evenings, some not so great flights back um, <laughs> on the plane on the morning after but um it was uh, really special and um one as i say that it looked back really uh with fond memories of a, a very special place yeah no it's great to hear obviously we we, we feel the same way the, the feelings reciprocated with you with you coming over um alongside these roles you also started your own business um mkk sportswear uh yeah. who were hugely successful um, within the not only cricket but uh, schools, etc. How did you find that as a challenge? It's obviously something completely different to to actually playing the game of cricket. Yeah, it, look, it, it came about um, a few years before I retired, and it was, you know, coaching always existed, but I knew coaching opportunities were always going to be limited because you're always going to have, you know, so many players retiring every year wanting to get into coaching, and I thought. I better have a backstop. Managed, you know, incredible learning experience. You know, you know, I hadn't done anything more than A levels. I'd never really had great interest in business. But you suddenly, you know, you invested with your own money. So suddenly, it was important to understand the balance sheet and a, you know, your profit and loss. And um, I learned an incredible amount of skills. Um, it was for a short time very successful. I mean, servicing six out of the 18 counties along with other sports and schools and other cricket um, organizations such as Guernsey yeah. and it, it was it was it was stressful at times you know you were learning all sorts of things from manufacturing in China to duties tax all the other bits a great um, learning experience and to get away from cricket to learn about life away from cricket and then but whilst equally always involved in trying to manufacture good kit um and that came to an end and i couldn't grow it anymore i couldn't help it more myself uh financially we needed far greater support so um I had to deal with a, an acquisition, which was, again, another great learning experience. And then, sadly, 
made redundant a year later after the acquisition, which I say sadly because it was something I devoted quite a lot of time and effort to. But again, having the ability to reflect, it, it really gave me the opportunity to start coaching again yeah. with Sussex. Um, and then, you know, from that, from Mark Robinson moving to the, the women's team, so then assisting Robbo with the England women's team prior to the World Cup success with all their scene bowlers and doing more and more at Sussex um, and going on from that. Yeah, and then alongside the, the Sussex stuff, uh, was that mostly in the age groups with Sussex? Because alongside that, you also worked at um, the local Sussex school, Bede School. How was that? That must yep. have been a completely different challenge. School cricket is completely different to county cricket. Yeah, and I think, I think what you... You do, and I think a lot of, I'd always recommend for coaches to, to do this, and I, Neil Lennon told me this, and he said, no, you're going to come coach at the younger age groups, and, you know, off I plodded with under nines, under ten schools cricketers. Um, but you really get your hands dirty. You really find out about yourself as a coach. Yeah. The other great thing about working at that level is you can make mistakes. And, you know, we, we say it as coaches to players about their, the, the comfort or to embrace failure at times. Um, and actually as a coach, it was a great opportunity to try ideas. Some things didn't work, but you weren't picking careers. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't really want to get anything wrong with a Joffrey Archer or a Chris Jordan, do I? So you have to explore these things. For a lot of people, they think that they can finish as a professional player and go straight into coaching. But I would always recommend for them to find some avenue so for me working at Beads was great um some great young cricketers to work with there and to working with Robbo and with the England women and Ian Salisbury was working with the spin bowlers and I was working with the pace bowlers yeah and then Sauls was head coach of the physically England physical um disability team and he asked me to assist with them so Again, you were challenged with different situations, yeah. players with prosthetic legs, players with cerebral palsy, players with, um, with club feet, and you were, you were problem solving. You, know, it, it, you weren't coaching them differently, you just had to solve the problems differently. Yeah. Um, and so again, you know, that rounded experience, that empathy that you learn from working in those environments is massive. So to now having been involved with Sussex profession in the last couple of years, um, I feel that there is a, a good grounding for the challenges ahead. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you, you mentioned there working with the Sussex Seamers. Um, so in 2019, you became the Sussex first team bowling coach. How's that working? I mean, you've got some fantastic Seamers there. You've got Joffre, Timmel Mills, um, George Garton, Ollie Robinson, Chris Jordan. I mean, the list is pretty much endless. I think you've got some pretty exciting guys coming through the ranks as well. Yeah, look, I'm incredibly lucky. And to be fair, it's me that, you know, I'm learning from these guys. You know, these are the guys that are playing around the world. You know, you, you, you reel off their names. And, you know, what, what always comes out, whilst they are, you know, world-class bowlers, um, they're actually world-class people as well. Their, their humility is, is striking. You know, Joffrey Archer, who's got the world at his feet, basically. His respect for, for people, as I say, the humility of when he comes into the ground, when he's training, 
you know, I, I, it, it, it is a, it is a, an incredible example for, for young cricketers. So I feel incredibly privileged to, to work with them. You know, I hope to think that occasionally I might offer them something <laughs> that's useful, but you know, they're pretty autonomous, these guys, but you, you have to create the environment to allow them to, to be autonomous, to provide the environment for them to allow to train at the intensity or at the level they want to, or at a specific area of their game. So you are always adapting around them. um, But also you're you're always keeping just an eye out to make sure things are on track um, for all of them, really. Um, And as you say, I've got two young bowlers coming through in Henry Crocom and Jamie Atkins who have just made the Young Lions squad. Um, who've just come onto our staff. So, you know, two, again, exciting bowlers to, to join, the, join the ranks. And then with 2020 uh, being a very strange year for, for most or for everyone, it must be a massive honour now that you've been named as head coach of the T20 side. Yeah, uh, huge honour, as I say, for a, a club that, as I said, I've nearly been involved with for, for nearly 30 years so um huge honor a nice way to to cut your teeth in county cricket as a head coach with a a team that expects to win so there is there is expectation uh i get that but uh i think there's also thankfully um a few areas small areas i must say because i think 90 percent of the time the 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 guys make the right decisions and go about everything in the right way. But if we can just add a, a couple more layers to our performances, um, and that starts this winter when we do actually hopefully underway in the next couple of weeks, um, yeah. we can start driving towards that. But, you know, as a whole, you know, I'll be assisting Souls with the, the four day and the, and the 50 over team. And so, you know, we've got a responsibility to all our players uh, yeah. to start really getting them to see the the team and the cricketers can be and the people that they can be um, and start delivering on the pitch in, in all formats, really. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, you've definitely got the, the players there. It's, it's a great county to sort of be linked with, uh, for, for Guernsey anyway. Uh, you always feel welcome when you're there. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. And I think down the line that... There's a young Kirtley in the system already. Uh, I was lucky enough to coach in this winter uh, when I was over for my level three. Uh, I helped out with one of the yeah. uh, the sessions. and A young batter, though, I think, more so than a seamer, is he? Uh, he's trying a bit of everything, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so no, that's, no, that's exciting to, 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 to watch. And say so um, my youngest, Tate, he's got, a, he's got an eye for a ball, actually. So he's six, so... Um, We'll, we'll watch this space on that one as well. <laughs> no, good to hear. Um, just to finish, a couple of questions uh, just on going back and looking over your, your career. Who's the quickest bowler you've ever faced? Brett Lee, yeah, at Melbourne. Just just a different league. I don't think I've ever felt um, so inadequate as a <laughs> batter. Um, and I, yeah, just it was just a different level. Alan Donald was quick. I think Brett Lee that night was sort of bowling mid-90s and yeah that wasn't any fun and I think that was the one day series where it was sort of jammed in the middle of the test series and we literally landed um, only to watch uh, Alex Tudor get felled by 
Brett Lee with that ball that hit him in the head. Yeah. So that was our sort of welcoming moment. And then to actually stand at the MCG and watch him charge in um, was no fun at all. Yeah. Um, and then on that, the toughest bowler that you faced? So, you know, it might be Brett Lee again, to be honest. That, I didn't last all that long, actually, to Brett Lee. So it probably wasn't the toughest experience. I think Donald, actually, I go back to Donald on a slightly up and down pitch at Edgebaston where I think Robbo and I were trying to bat and survive for a bit longer but um, yeah see Donald hit me on the head as well when he came over in 2009 it wasn't fun either so um, probably Lee is a I think you know it was good in that you could chat with Bradley and talk about cricket and um, yeah. there were times in a, when we went over to India he was always um, very generous with his time so um yeah, nice to sort of do battle and also to be able to pick his brains. Yeah, yeah. And then the, the hardest player you've you've had to bowl at? Hayden, comfortably. I think just just his presence, his almost his desire to bully you almost just was you you really did have to feel that you were on top of your game and you know his bat just him just was enormous and his bat just appeared to be enormous and Again, you've, you felt it was proper sort of David and Goliath stuff. And unfortunately, I didn't have um, Goliath, uh, David's slingshot to, to put him down. And he invariably um, got the better of me. Yeah, I mean, he was he was probably quite ahead of his time, like you said, like the big, powerful opening batters, which which most people have got now. But yeah, he was, he was probably ahead of his they time. Yeah, but he was his, his presence, which was just so obvious. Um, that was, yeah, probably the most unnerving part yeah. of it really and then your, your favourite ground to play out in the world I think you always look at these and you think you know obviously you have your emotional connection with Hove and Lords is always up there so I, I don't think you, you always sort of exclude those two but Newlands uh, what a backdrop uh, yeah. what a backdrop so um, yeah I think I think Newlands yeah and then you, and then your best mate in cricket Oh, Ian Salisbury. I mean, it just the the last, you know, so Ian Salisbury, you know, I've had three long-term, but Ian Salisbury rekindling that relationship from starting out in 1995 together. Um, it's a really strong friendship that we got now. Mike Yardy is always someone that always been in contact with and played with for such a long time. Um and you, you, it, it's amazing. And say Richard Housel, who played at Eastbourne back in the mid-90s and was instrumental in bringing Andy Flower over to Eastbourne and then culminating me going to Zimbabwe and now Richard's in charge of our academy. It's amazing how all these people in your life sort of all either circle or around or whatever and are yeah. now coming back. You know, you sort of, you see these these people align at, at a really good time. So, um yeah, no, I've been very fortunate to have some really good friends and ones that have um, have stayed with me. Yeah, no, no, it sounds sounds very nice. Your your favourite coach could be quite a tough one. You might not have, not necessarily favourite coach, but someone that's done a lot for you. I think uh, Peter Moore's. I think you know, I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm going to upset a whole lot of people, um, but Morsey for the energy that he provided the the how to get the best out of me. I mean, he, he learned very quickly to challenge me and that is exactly what got the best out of me. 
um, and was always clear, always precise with me. So his example of the a work ethic as a coach, as the energy levels of a coach, um, but then the more subtle skills of understanding the player. So I mean, that, it's a it's a pretty obvious one, I guess. But I think if you look around the influence he's had on people. Um, whether it's Glenn Chapel, who was his captain at Lancashire, you see in coaching roles to, I know John Lewis got very close uh, with him when he was involved with England and some on A tours, Carl Hopkinson, Mike Yardy, Ian Salisbury's godfather to, to Tommy's son. You can sort of see a pattern developing in, you know, Mark Robinson as it was his assistant coach for a long time. You know, that. He has influenced now not you see Paul Franks um, developing as a really outstanding coach. So you, he obviously has that impact and that ability to 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 excite people about coaching. And I, I don't think it's any coincidence that all these people that have had contact with Morsey have gone on and um, yeah. been excited at coaching and are holding some pretty. Um, high positions in the county game. Yeah, no, I, I, you very rarely hear a, a bad word spoke about him, like like you said. Uh, and then, and then to finish, um, your favourite memory in cricket? It, it, it is the CNG final. Uh, just that ability, that sort of re- moment of almost retribution. Um, just lovely to reward the Sussex faithful, really. Um, and I sound, it, it might sound a little bit. But it, it it was the journey. It was per, you know the personal journey, but also the the journey of us as a team as well. Um, the support offered, and it just showed you know what a how an ultimate team works. The the team spirit, the camaraderie, the selflessness that was shown in the care, the that real care for each other um, really was highlighted in that period of time and really came to the forefront for me then. Yeah, there's a great, there's a great video on YouTube actually of the uh, final. It's like the behind the scenes. It looks like it was filmed in a potato, but apart from that, it, it is great little book watch. What, what, I mean, Barney, Barney did a whole year on it and actually did a, a DVD. Barney Douglas, he produced, he directed The Edge as well. Yes, yeah. So he, he again, he cut his teeth at, at Sussex, at Sussex TV, along with Chris Pickett, who's now, he's the analyst for Hong Kong cricket. So you, all these people, as I say, and I think there's talk of Barney's about to do another one for, is it McEnroe or Borg or someone? He's doing a tennis one soon, um, based on his stuff that he did on the edge, which I think was spellbinding. Um, But yeah, I don't think we were allowed a camera in Lord's. So some it did literally have to be sneaked in, not in a potato, <laughs> but um, there were certain areas of the ground that we probably took a bit of a liberty on. But um, incredible that he was able to capture, and he, he sort of captured the whole year, that double winning year in a in the DVD called Time for Heroes, which um, is really cleverly crafted and created. Well, I so have no surprise that he did that. Yeah, I think Grubby's actually shown us that that that. Um... DVD. He would have done. I think it, yeah. it, it, it captured some incredible on the pitch moments, but probably off the field and yeah. comically off the field as well. Yeah. yeah. 
No, excellent. Thank you very much for coming along. Um, really appreciate you, you taking the time out to have a chat with us uh, and, and all the best for the future. Uh, hopefully you can take Sussex back right the way to the top of the uh, county game again. No, definitely. That is, a, uh, that is what we're looking to do. So, um, no, it's been a pleasure, Ferb. It's good to catch up. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe button and keep listening. Shoot me down